Hi, I'm Lauren Jessup. You're listening to the Hall of Mirrors podcast. So yeah, Lauren Jessup, thanks so much for joining us. We haven't had a, uh, a journalist on our podcast, and I thought it'd be super interesting since you covered our uh, interview with the Shellers and uh, turned us on to Citizen Stringer and, and checking out all, the, all your articles. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, it's really an honor that you asked me to do this. So let, let me ask you off the bat, what is, you're, you're affiliated with Citizen Stringer, correct? Correct. And so what is Citizen Stringer? Uh, obviously, by definition, a stringer is someone like a freelance journalist. So is it a conglomerate of free, free, excuse me, freelance journalists? Well, Citizen Stringer is, uh, it, it was started under a different name. It started out as PT News Network. Uh, the owner is Stephen Oatley. Uh, he was in the trucking business for a while and he just did trucking news. And then when all the riots broke out in 2020, he decided he started covering them live and it kind of grew from there. Um, so I am basically a freelance journalist writing for Citizen Stringer. Is he the one that was doing like a, I was just scrolling uh, and there was like a, a gentleman doing like a podcast type uh, live video. Was that him? That's him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. We'll have to talk to Chris about that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, uh, how long have you been in journalism for? <laughs> this is a really good story, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, basically, since February. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. I'm a I'm a newbie. I'm you know I know people have coined the term, but I really kind of consider myself an accidental journalist because uh, a couple of years ago I found. I saw what the media was doing, kind of opened my eyes, and I would see a headline, and I would um, kind of be enraged, and I thought, well, this can't be true, and then, so I started digging, and once I started digging, I, the more I saw, the more I dug, the more I found out, and it it kind of created a passion in me to get, I just want facts, I don't want people to tell me what to think, I want to make my own decision based on the facts out there, Right. and so I became quite an advocate for fact-based um, journalism. Sure. And we, we say that all the time on our, our podcast is what we don't want to put out misinformation. We want to give our viewers information and let them do with it what they will. Um, with that being said, uh, we never intended on kind of taking a political stance with this podcast. It was supposed to be two working class guys that were just uh, talking about uh, working class things. And it has kind of spun for, for a lot of the same reason that you just mentioned that, you know, there's so much propaganda and misinformation out there that, you know, Randy's exceptional at, uh, we call it going down the rabbit hole, where <laughs> you just keep digging and digging and wow, it, and it, a lot of things aren't don't make sense in this society right now. No, no. And it's, it's been, it's been so frustrating to see it. No, it's fine if you say it's your opinion. That's you want other people's opinions also because sure. that helps you see maybe things that you wouldn't have, you know, conclusions you would not have drawn. But at least say it's an opinion. You know, that's the way they tend to twist facts. Or what I've found is one of the major things is they leave facts out to make it sound different. You know, sure. so give it all. Uh, I do try to write very neutral. I have my opinions, of course. Sure. Uh, but when I started this. The, the mission was, 
we write neutrally. So try to present both sides of something or if it's a fact, it's a fact. And I say, if just because you don't like something doesn't make it untrue. Right, right it doesn't negate the fact, <laughs> it literally doesn't <laughs> negate the fact that, that, it, that it's true. So anyway, I started um, following Steve when it was PT News. And he would mention every once in a while that uh, when we're looking for writers, and I love to write, and people that, you know, my friends on Facebook and whatnot um, have, have told me that, you know, you write really well, you express yourself in a respectful manner, um, and I would put my opinions out there, but, and people tended to, you know, like it and respect it. And I thought, well, I love to write, but... I can't do news because you have to be so fast. I'm not fast. Okay. <laughs> like proofread things a hundred times. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, one one day I I wrote something and it was a you know an opinion piece, but it was um, a lot of facts in it, and it was back in February. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll submit it. I emailed them. I said, do you accept um, op eds? And he said yes. And actually, the first one I submitted didn't go anywhere and then I wrote another and I thought oh, I really like this should I do it like I hesitated but I did it um and he published it and the next day he messaged me and said would you like to write news for us and I thought yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um but it was an opportunity and I think um you need to take opportunities when they come along so Certainly. I said yes and that was the beginning <laughs> so. okay and so well, while you're a newbie, we'll, we'll call you, um, you, you have found a passion, it seems, with the human trafficking element of, of what's going on with this country. Is, is that correct? Yes. I, I do a lot of border. I, you know, you tend to kind of fall into a niche that something you're really interested in. Um, and I think there, there's just so much of it. Uh, so what I started back in, I guess it, it kicked off in March when I saw uh, the congressional representatives at the border and they called it, you know, the disorder at the border. And I had right. been writing articles on things that I've been seeing. So uh, in April, early April, I started a weekly article called uh Disorder at the Border Weekly Roundup. And so for seven months, every week, <laughs> I take all the uh, Customs and Border Patrol media releases, and I combine them into an article by event category. So, you know, drug smuggling, rescues, human smuggling, all the different things that go on weekly that they post. Now, whether or not they post everything, I also pull some of their things from Twitter that may not make it in, right. um, but it's all factual. It's all, you know, Customs and Border Patrol facts and stats. And I try to condense it into one thing so people can actually, it gives you a really good picture, you know, when you put it all together like that. And human smuggling has, you know, next to drugs, but um, the human smuggling thing ha is very complex and it's very big. Sure. Um, nobody... Migrants, to me, and it's funny how um, I've noticed, I think back in April, uh, there was a directive to the agencies that deal with the migrants uh, to not call them illegal aliens anymore, even though it's in the law written like that. 
Uh, and to me, that's We've got kind to be of, politically correct, don't we? Right. It's, it God softens forbid. the language. And they've done that with other things also, you know, across our culture. Sure. I think to me, for me, it's, they said it's for, you know, humanitarian, you know, you want to see people as human beings, but I think they're softening language to make it more palatable to the culture, to the society. Or for um, acceptance. So, yeah, right. And so all of a sudden, I, at one point, I decided I'm not going to use that terminology. Um, let's use what it is. So I basically, every time they use undocumented individual, I just flip it and I say illegal aliens in my, <laughs> because that's, let's stick to really what it is. Right. right. And, and what um, it is via the, the statutes for the United States, right? I mean, they, they haven't changed the statutes, the verbiage in the statutes. So what, what, why should we? Right. And so, also, you know, the way I draw the line is when I'm writing about something that happens over in Mexico or Central and South America, they're migrants. Once they cross the border, they're illegal aliens. <laughs> well, that makes sense, though. And, and realistically, that, that's what it is. Um, what, what's very fascinating, though, is you're writing specifically uh, about the DHS and uh, Border Patrol re- off of their reporting. Right. What, what do you think the the magnitude is that's not being reported? Those that get away, per se, is it tenfold? Is it a hundredfold? Yeah, they know. call them Godways, and I don't know. I might have a little more information on that in a week or two. Okay. Um, or, or what's the difference between what you're reading and what mainstream media is reporting? Well, I can tell you, um, I follow, I don't follow mainstream media on this. Uh, I have a couple of people that I follow, and I should probably give them a shout out because they are the boots on the ground in this. Um, Allie Bradley, she's an independent journalist. Um, Oscar L. Blue, he's, I believe he has dual citizenship, but they, the two of them have been following the current caravan in Mexico. Okay. Um, And I have some really good insightful info on that, but let me finish. Um, There's Anthony Aguero with Border Network News and uh, Jorge Ventura. Those people are Oh, and Bill Malugan from uh, Fox. Okay. They are on the ground taping what's going on and interviewing people that are affected. And that's where I get a lot of my, you know, I'll write on that separately outside of the border roundup. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'll do ind- individual stories on things that are uncovered by them. Um, Godaways, I don't know, but uh, I can say that Ali and Oscar... Um, they were interviewing the migrants on this caravan and the, they interviewed the caravan organizers. It's a charity that helps migrants over in Mexico. They, they say that their goal is to get to Mexico city so that they can get paperwork to work in Mexico. A lot of people from Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and, um, but everybody, everybody they talk to, every migrant is said, well, when we get to Mexico City, we're going to go forward to the United States. We want the American dream. We want to work. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is they found that none of them that they spoke to, they were surprised when they were asked 
if they were prepared to deal with the cartels and smugglers, because you can move around those other countries once you get to the border. Apparently, it's nobody gets across without paying somebody. Okay. It's very, very tight. They've this is a money making opportunity for the cartels. And sure, the it's a cash cow, right? And uh, that's they've <laughs> you don't know, get across without paying. Some of them were very surprised, like what? And um, all of them, you know, had no idea there was a process. They said, "Well, you know, when you get there, you have to, you know, go through this process." And they apparently just thought they could walk in <laughs> and get a job. And I think, you know, they talk about the um, uh, the root causes of this problem. And God knows, I don't know what the answer is. You know, we throw money at it to corrupt governments, and it's not helping. The one thing that I've that I could think of to at least start something good would be to inform you know get these countries to crack down on the misinformation um, they have people promising you know pay us we'll get you to the united states we'll get you a job you know it's easy to get in and i think i mean that would be a start sure. well you, you know uh, the countries in, in which the, the migrants are, are coming from and then becoming illegal aliens they're, they're socioeconomic you know just they're just depressed, you know, areas. And, and with that being said, when you have a corrupt government itself, no amount of money you throw at it is going to uncorrupt it. You have to have to have competent people with integrity at the top. And unfortunately, that's not what is happening down there in those countries. Um, you know, when you say that those that are migrating here are just want to come live the American dream and get jobs, that that's noble. Um, and you know, once you said you said it uh, earlier on that you know there's a flip side of this coin where I, I don't think that everybody crossing the border is a is a drug courier is a yeah. is a bad person. There there are legitimate people that just they want to be able to provide for their families. It just I don't think the United States has been clear about how to go about doing that, which allows the spread of this misinformation. That's a deep conversation though, because yeah. we have uh, American veterans that are homeless. We've got so many people that are homeless uh, and we never give those people enough attention or resources, or we have elementary schools shutting down the United States. We have so many things that need to be fixed. And yet, you know, we're reading articles that I don't even know are true that they want to give $450,000 to migrants, either separated families or. Yeah, that's um, I wrote about that. And I, I heard somebody else refer to it that way, and I thought, well, that's the perfect term for it. It's they want to pay reparations right. to people that made a choice to break our laws. Right. <laughs> now, President Biden has said that he's he clarified it. He was he looked totally shocked when they asked him about it, um, and then they clarified it the next day and said that he's not opposed to them reaching a settlement. It was just that number. And then he's leaving it up to, I think it's the DHS that's... Um, Justice Department uh, Right, itself. and it's the ACLU is representing, I think there's 900 claims. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing. Like You have people that, that try to work a lifetime for a retirement to pay off a home or, or be debt-free and, and just work their lives away, yet you want to give someone that decided to throw their kid over the border yeah. a, a lottery you know, ticket. And, and, and I try... I, I'm trying to put myself in 
the shoes of that parent that makes that decision to drop their child over. And obviously it's a conscious decision that's being made and hoping for a betterment of that child's life. But at what point is it, does it become incentivized by, by giving money uh, that amount of money, even say 250, what price do you put on a separation from a child and and a parent? I understand the the legalities of it and and whatnot, but I, I, I really try, you have to be so desperate to, to willingly throw your child over a wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I struggle with it too. And I think a lot of us that are covering this, there's, there's so many aspects to it, the human aspect, right? Like the guys that are actually there with the migrants, um, they, they're human beings, you know, they're, and I, I get the desperation, you know, but I, and at one point I thought, well, they want the American dream, but None of them speak English. Sure. And so what is it they're going to do when they get here? Well, you know, I, what jobs are they going to do? And and I thought, well, what life is that? But then I thought, well, you know, it most likely is better than what they're leaving. So, I, you know, but as a human being, I get it. But this is not the answer. Like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. I have friends that are more liberal and they, they think, oh, you know, let everybody in. And I know this is kind of an exaggeration, but I say to them, okay, think about it. If we just let everybody in, like, look at these thousands upon thousands that are coming now. If we let everybody in, at what point do we become what they left? Right. You know, it's, it, it is an exaggeration, but you know, a, it's unsustainable right, the way it is. There's another um, aspect to this as well. Uh, you know, yeah, a lot of people are probably so desperate that they do throw their kid over the border. And, but there's also a calculated risk, right? And, and here's a reward that they know is a possibility. A, another example of this is I know uh, my wife is a labor and delivery nurse. And there are families that take this calculated risk, right? <clears throat> Middle Eastern families, for instance, they have family embedded in the United States and they, and they get really smart, okay? They fly over here seven, eight months pregnant. Yep. They purposely scout a hospital. Okay. They don't go to any doctors in this area, but when they're ready to give birth, they walk into a hospital with a, uh, let's just say a Catholic hospital where they do not turn anybody away. They go into this hospital and they give birth. That moment they become American citizens or have access to America. Their child is an American citizen now. Right. And they are forever given the right to come and go as they please. That's an abuse of our laws. Um, I don't think it's supposed to work that way. I think it should be at least one parent should be a citizen, you know, just because you give birth here. I mean, I, this gets a little off topic, but it, it hits to yours. There are, I think Russia sells birth tours to pregnant women. They fly them here in groups when they're pregnant. So That's they amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. I did, I've never heard of that. Okay. That's amazing. And that, and that, so that's mind blowing. So you have a, a really great insight and man, this goes back to a private conversation we've had. Yep. Holy cow. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, this is a serious, serious so, issue. Yeah. But w- w- when you're talking the human element right. and, and once again, we're talking about the, the human dynamic where those that are leaving uh, th- those impoverished 
countries are coming here, they're facing extortion. They're facing, you know, crimes against the, their, their bodies, their, their, their family, wives and children being raped. And I don't know how pervasive that is. We know it happens. There's an evil element, especially as you get closer to the border where, you know, you've got the cartel controls of it. The cartels are moving people over the border, much like they are uh, with drugs. Uh, or, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, they just send, you know, a, a semi truck full of cocaine over the border. But then they started getting those that one semi truck pop. So what are they doing? Well, they're, they're sending seven semi trucks yeah. with a seventh of a load and they're, they're playing the odds. It's the same thing that's happening with the human smuggling. Oh, yeah, it seems. And there, there are incentives here. Uh, and these people talk, they have cell phones and everything. So once they get through, they, you know, message back and say, hey, we got through and this is how we did it. Right. Um, you know, and I know they are removing people with, you know, Title 42 and Title 8 and all that good stuff. But there's still, uh, I read something last night, I was doing some research just to prepare for this. Apparently, the estimate is we have 14 million illegal aliens living in this country right now. 14 million. Uh, I believe in 2015, it was 12 million. And it's like each year gets bigger. And this year, <laughs> this past year has been, I don't know. You know, the numbers, I have all the stats, you know, how many were deported and how, the, and what I've seen, though, there's a lot of returns. Um, there's a lot of criminals that have been arrested. Certainly. I get that from my weekly border roundup. Um, many of them have already been uh, charged and deported, and they enter, re-enter the country illegally at least one more time, some multiple. Well, it's, it's like, well, I get caught. Where Where's the, you know what's the negative of getting caught? They're just going to send me back and then I'm going to prepare to, to try again. There, yeah. there, there's, there's no consequence to them getting caught. And I, I think that's yeah. unfortunate. If you know, in, in a, a country of laws, you have to have consequences if you break those laws. And right now, as ridiculous as it sounds, you think a country that, that was so, you know, uh, patriotic uh, around September 11th, 2001 to, to basically just, open up this this border it's it's ridiculous and it's, it's interesting I, we've incentivized it um and many and i don't i don't want to get political but there is a political um thing involved the people that are interviewing this caravan many of them have been saying you know i hope biden lets us in you know i right he <laughs> they, well, they do the, have the impression that he has said i will let you in but it, that's the optics that have been portrayed by that our, our government leaders. And, right. you know, how easy could it be for them to do a pamphlet drop? And realistically, if they, if they wanted to, and let's face it, it they, did, they do it before bombings in Iraq. They did it yeah. for more, but, you know, they do a pamphlet drop. It's not safe to come to the United States. Do not come to the United States. Yeah. It, a pamphlet drop from the United States would, would, would probably work wonders at slowing this down. Yet they're not doing it. They're letting the misinformation spread. Right. And, and they stand at the podium and they say, our borders are closed. And to me, like, they might as well be winking when they say it. Because right. their actions do not match their words. Correct. So, um so the, the trafficking, I've done a lot on that. Um, it's amazing <laughs> the things that they do. The cartels, and I've written some of my more specific articles on this have dealt with um, the trafficking. The cartels actually give the migrants wristbands, different colored wristbands for different cartels to show that they've paid. 
sure. there's like a bunch of them all cut off on the ground once they get over. Um, and like that's big business, right? Um, yeah, seven to 12,000, some, some upward of 50,000 to come across the border for the, yeah. to be escorted. Well, right? it could be, you know, eight, 10,000. One of the two of my favorite things to have done on this are when I post, well, when they post on my articles and I see the readers' questions. Uh, and I, I, if there's enough of them, I like to try to answer those in a future article. So one was on the, the trafficking. Well, how do these people get $10,000 to pay? If they have that little money, how are they paying these people? And there's a very interesting answer. <laughs> Some you might, you might know, you might not. Um, sometimes they save a lifetime, like we save for our kids' college or wedding. They'll save up when they get it, then they send their kid, right? Then once the kid gets over, there might be another relative. Um, sometimes their relatives that have been here working send them money. Uh, but the very sad thing is the ones that don't have that can, that's how they get trafficked once they get here. They are in bondage. They, to they the become smugglers. slaves. They become slaves. Yeah. And they'll work it off. You know, right. here's a job. And, you know, then they pay fees for their food and their lodging. And they, you know, I read something that sometimes that debt is passed down into the next generation, like sure. they never get out of it. So they're basically prisoners. And I don't think they realize that that's what they're getting into. Um, so I think there's education that has to be done over in those other countries. Uh, the other one was the um, the train, well, that's another thing. But the other question was, all these migrants from Haiti, everybody's going on, well, how'd they get from I've Haiti? I've got that written oh. down right here. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you, do, do you have a specific question about it? Well, no, I was reading your article and I thought it was interesting to talk about how they made it from Haiti. Uh, to an island. Yeah, what What was the name of the uh, the first country they go to where they don't need visas? Suriname. Yeah. And so it's just an interesting conversation. I wanted you to explain it. Yeah, it's, it was fascinating to me. And that's part of what I, why I love doing what I do, because I learn so much while I'm doing it. Um, a lot of the, I think, what did I say? 250,000 Haitians left in 2010 after the earthquake and violence in their country. They had been living in South America years, decades, right? Uh, they did go to Suriname. A lot of them went to Suriname because you don't, it doesn't require a visa, but then they move around Central America. There were jobs in Brazil doing the Olympic Stadium in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, then when the pandemic hit, they, the economy kind of dried up, so they started all moving. Now their, their journey from there, they have to get to Colombia, mm -hmm. and they have to Across the Darien Gap, which is people are learning a little more about that. that no, is, road, no roadways. Can I pause you right there for one second? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess the, the answer is obvious, but how do they get from Haiti to Suriname? Is it okay, all? I, oh, go ahead. I, I couldn't. I looked and I asked a few people. I didn't hear. I reached out to a reporter. I won't name him. <laughs> that has a lot of uh, knowledge about this. And he didn't answer me, but that's okay. And I did try to do a lot of research. They fly somehow. Interesting. Know, Suriname, because... which I guess is a short flight. Um, they used to go, it would make sense to go from Haiti to Florida, right? Or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but that 
got cut off years ago. The Coast Guard had been patrolling and you know that, that's been shut down. So somehow they fly to Suriname. There must be ways. And I, I've not been able to kind of put my finger on exactly how so that happens. That's it, a good question. And it's 1,511 miles. Yeah. And that would be one hell of a, and I, I don't even know how they would do it by, by raft. Like you got Cubans coming here by raft, right? But uh, yeah, I don't think the currents would take them the right way. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. So they would need a, a large boat or plane. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So th- that's an unanswered thing that, you know, if I had more time, maybe I could find it out, but well, we have somehow they got over to South America. <laughs> we, we have a plethora of military officials that watch our podcast. So if anybody that's watching happens to know how they do that, please uh, give us that info. Well, okay. So I have, I have a relative uh, who's retired captain just retired from Coast Guard. So maybe I can get him to speak on it. I don't know if he's... Uh... We'll see if we can help you out with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he has many stories of getting traffickers off of, I mean, off of the uh, East Coast and, and Florida Coast and and like submarines. Uh, crazy stuff that most people don't even realize how uh, they're getting drugs and people in the United States as well. It's endless. They're, they are very creative and they will do anything. Um, okay, so, so let's anyway, get back to your get, story. They're at the gap, right? They're at the gap. Okay. Um, the gap is, I forget how, you know, how wide it's a large area. It's a rainforest. Uh, and they estimate that 10% of those who attempt this trip pass away in some, they either get sick, uh, they get murdered, they get raped, um, they get washed away in flash floods. Everybody that these these people on the ground in Mexico now have interviewed. Many have come through there and they said they see dead bodies. You know, so you said 10, 10, 10%. 10%. So of 100,000 people, there's 10,000 that are going to die. Yeah. Wow. And they're willing to, this is what is a killer, right? They, they're willing to, they know this and they're willing to risk it. Um, but so then once they get through that, they get to Panama and then they travel their way up those countries to the border of Mexico. Uh, now Mexico has, they have problems at the, both their northern and southern borders, right? We're trying to turn them back. Uh, Tapatula is the most southern part of Mexico where mm-hmm. they're building up there like thousands and thousands. The Mexican government let a bunch go, but they're holding them back, they're processing papers, and you know, they've had clashes with the National Guard there. And then on their northern border near us, you know, we're trying to send them back. They don't want to take them. So they're, they're just all building up. Right. It's, I don't know what the answer is. Um, but these people are just so desperate. One of the other stories that I did that I was absolutely fascinated with was the use of the freight train system going through Mexico that the, like hundreds of thousands a year apparently use this. Okay, explain it to uh, me. It's not legal. They're freight trains. They don't go in the trains. They ride on them. If you watch the, there's a documentary done by HBO. It was done in 2009, but I think they're still using these trains heavily. I think it's called Which Way Home? And it documents, they follow several children. Like some of these kids leave these Central American countries, again, saying, I want the American dream, right? One kid left. His mother didn't even know he left. He was oh like 14. <laughs> just, 
And so they they get on these trains, but they get injured getting on and off them. They fall off them. They fall asleep. They're riding on top and like in between. They're freight trains. And they're like box cargo containers, like convex yeah. boxes. Wow. And they're they're on, just riding on top of them. That's an award-winning documentary that's put out by HBO. Yeah. It's, it was fascinating. So I watched that and then I did a little bit more research. Um, they have, you know, the Red Cross has helped all these people that are missing limbs because they have these accidents. Uh, but like kids, like nine, they, without their families, they just, and then they have stops all along the, um, the routes or charities where they give them food and there's places they can rest. I actually did a story, the Red Cross, it was pretty interesting. I actually had paperwork kind of promoting, <laughs> like here are the services along the routes. And so people were criticizing them. For, Almost like rest stations, here they are. Yeah, well, here's, wow. here's how you do it. Like they're promoting, oh, wow. making it easier for them to do. And I guess, you know, if people are going to do it, I guess a charity would be, well, let's help them. They're going to do it anyway, right? So right. that's the balance. <laughs> you know, uh, it's but so it's hard. just it's so complex, and it's just. <laughs> what, what does their life have to be like? And maybe because I, maybe we're fortunate, right? We we live in the United States, and maybe we take that for granted. Why do so many people want to come here? Or have we just become so? callous as a country that we don't understand that that we are living the good life and and you well, know then you can have the group that say they hate us that they hate americans so it, it's it's interesting yeah we're we're i think we've i don't know if entitled is the right word i think um the people that are saying that or are not grateful to be living here have never had to fight for it right no, that, that, that makes sense. And unfortunately, I think that the realization is coming that the more we give away, the more entitlements that we give away, the, the more the society as a whole is, is affected by it uh, insofar as inflation now. You know, we, we got all those stimulus checks that are still coming for, you know, children and whatnot. And where's those stimulus checks going? They're going for the, the increased price in groceries now. You know, is five dollars the new one dollar to us? Yeah. So, is our is our economy and in our, our I don't know, uh, for lack of a better term, our, our essence of being a, a, an American is that starting to decline because of the, the bleeding hearts that that we are, and we want to empathize. Yeah, I mean, it's everybody wants to help people, right. but the way I put it is, we need to take care of our own house first, right? Sure. The analogy would be. If you and your family, you have four kids, right? And there's three kids or 10 kids living two doors down that don't have parents. And then obviously you want to help them. It's kind of a, but you're not going to take other kids in if you can't provide for yours first. Correct. <laughs> right. And Correct. I think where there's a balance that needs to be struck. Like if, I think more people would be amenable to some of this we didn't have hungry children, if we didn't have homeless veterans or homeless populations in our own country, it's kind of hypocritical to be taking care of other countries when we're not taking care of our own. Sure. And, and there's the ideological shift, right? Where 
it, it's it's okay for us to take care of all the the illegal aliens that come in. But as Randy said, alluded to earlier in the in the conversation, we've got homeless veterans on the street, yeah. and you know it's it's almost insult. Well, it is insulting that you're going to give those that came in this country the wrong way any amount of money, while we could fund you know, treatment programs and housing programs for our veterans that, that are here. There's so-